take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of 2 Timothy this morning, the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, as we uh, kick off a new series that we have entitled uh, Fit Church, and uh, looking at nine marks of what a healthy church uh, should look like. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and you can find our passage this morning on page 996. Page 996. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, We're going to be looking at the first uh, five verses this morning as we look at the first uh, healthy mark of a church, and that is uh, biblical uh, preaching uh, this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we jump right into our our text this morning, and uh, we will uh, turn our attention uh, to the Word of God. Here's what Paul says uh, to his spiritual son, Timothy, and uh, to us as well this morning as a people and as a church. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears uh, They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Father God, as we now place ourselves under your teaching, I pray that our hearts would be open Lord, this series is going to focus in on us evaluating as a church, as a people, how healthy we are. Lord, I pray we would not push that away or um, scorn that type of evaluation in our, our hearts. Lord, if there's changes that need to be made, Lord, I pray that we would see it and recognize it and recognize even as difficult as becoming a more fit church might be, that that discipline is right and good. Lord, we do this not so that we'll make magazine articles or, or that the news uh, or the Christian community might say, look at Village Bible Church. Lord, we do this so that we may serve you better. We do this so that we may bring glory to your name and that we may do this, Lord, to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray by your spirit that we may be able to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you this morning, how are you doing? Did you have a good night's rest? Did you wake up uh, well rested this morning? Uh, Did you find the clothes that you were planning to wear or weren't planning to wear in the heap of the laundry basket or uh, folded nicely and ready to put on? How'd the kids do this morning? Uh, Were they all ready, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready for another Lord's Day? How was the trip here? Uh, did everybody enjoy their, their way here? Did you get caught up in traffic? Did you have time to stop for your cup of coffee at the local coffee place? Uh, how about when you got here? Did you find a good parking space this morning? One that was uh, not too far away that you were in a, a sweat when you got to the front door? Uh, how about when you got to the front door? Did our people do a good job of uh, greeting you this morning? Did they smile and, and say hello? Uh, did they try to remember your name from last week? How about that bulletin you got this morning? Is there enough color in it? Too much color? Too many pictures? Not enough text? Not enough information? A little ostentatious, you know? Um, How about when you came into the sanctuary? Does it smell okay in here? How's the temperature? Um, You feel like you can sit here for a little while. The pews, they're making those bottoms of yours feel nice and cozy. How about our worship team? Did they do a good job for you today? Was music too loud, too soft? Did we sing too many songs or not enough? How about our new pastor? Was he welcoming enough? Did he smile enough? Did he make you feel at home? Uh, Did he seem to be knowledgeable enough but not a know-it-all? How about our worship team as they, they led? Did it look like they were excited? Was the drummer a little out of hand? Was the guitar a little too loud? Were the songs we sing the songs that you wanted to sing? Were they sung the way you want to sing them? 
then the greeting time comes, and you look around, and are these people really you want to hang out with? Are they your types of people? Are they the type of people you want to do life together with? Let's go back to the kids for a moment. Did you get the kids to children's worship? And, and uh, was everything done in an orderly way? Were the people there to receive them? Are the kids going to have a good time today? Are they going to enjoy themselves? And then this bald guy gets up. He's going to preach. Is he going to be able to strike the balance between good humor and, and, and a lot of knowledge? Is he going to be able to be relevant and, yes, in some ways uh, uh, timeless? Is he going to be able to uh, hit right where you want him to hit, uh, right where you're at? Even though he's speaking to hundreds of people this morning, is that message going to be custom fit for you so you can walk away and say, I was blessed. And is he going to be able to do it in a short enough time not to have you lose your attention? And then when you leave this place, the question will come back and you'll ask the question, will I be back again? You know, it's amazing how we evaluate churches, isn't it? Every one of those things that we talked about are important when it comes to preferences. But what we haven't answered is what makes a healthy church? What is it about a Village Bible Church that should spur us on to not only want to be a part of it, but to invest our lives into it as we invest our lives into the gospel life of Jesus Christ? What is it that makes Village Bible Church a biblical church? This series, Fit Church, is a series devoted to that. Over the next nine weeks, we don't want to answer the question of preferences, but biblical principles that say, what God is looking for in a healthy church and how we need to, in some ways, maybe pivot our view, uh, take our vantage point off of ourselves and ask the question, God, what do you require as a church? Because many of us think that we know what is best and God says, in fact, Jesus Christ, his son said, I will build my church. This isn't our church. This isn't my church This is God's church, and God has a blueprint as to how he wants this church to live its life together, and he's given us, as we learned this morning, not only for farming, but the guidebook with regards to how to involve ourselves in this organism, this family known as the church, and so how do we do it? It begins by looking at some uh, marks of what makes for a healthy church, and the first way we look this morning is to what is being preached in those churches. It is once said that where the preaching goes, so goes the church. And so we want to ask the question this morning, if that's the the directional center, if you will, for a local church, we have to ask the question this morning, what type of preaching uh, brings and produces healthy churches? Now I want you to recognize this morning that preaching messages isn't the issue. There are thousands of churches across this nation that are, are meeting together today just as we are. And they're going to follow a very simple template. They're going to have a, a welcome and then go into a time of worship, of singing of songs. There will be some prayers. There will be some opportunities for some announcements to take place. And then someone's going to get up and give a sermon. The lengths are going to be different. The topics are going to be different. Uh, the focus of that time is going to be different. But for the vast majority of churches, even today, uh, sermons are being preached. The question is, what type of sermons should be preached? And we want to spend this morning investigating and understanding what a healthy church preaches in its time together. I know you've seen, as I have, the pictures that have come from California, the lakes that have shriveled up and dried up as a result of the, the famine of a century, rivers that once were, were so full of, of great force and rapids now are but a trickle. And over the couple years of this drought, we have seen the people and the place of the Golden State, if you will, at the edge of what has been called a biblical famine. It puts a strain on everything. It puts a strain on the average Joe who tries to keep his yard green. It's a th- it thins the livestock numbers. It, it causes dwindling produce uh, harvest, no rain, and too much heat. And it leaves a place as dry as a bone, a famine. 
the prophet Amos said that there was a famine coming, but not a famine that it would hurt the livestock or hurt the vegetation. But Amos said a famine is coming, not a famine of bread or water, but a famine of hearing the words of God. Now what he was going to be talking about, what he was prophesying was about, was the 400 years that would take place in between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. And he said, there's a day coming where God isn't going to speak as he once did. But might I tell you this morning that Amos's prophecy rings true this morning in 21st century American culture. There is a famine in the land because we have people filling churches that think that they are hearing sermons and what they are hearing are ideas from men and not the voice of God. And so we have to ask the question this morning, Are we feasting on the Word of God as a church, or is there a famine? And I don't want to presume this morning that we've got it figured out. And so what we need to do is not, based on our own ideals, determine whether this is a healthy mark for us. But we turn to God's Word, and we ask the question this morning, Paul, as you exhorted and you charged Timothy, we want you to exhort and challenge us this morning. Are we a healthy church with regards to preaching? I want you to notice, begin to do that. We've got five things this morning. Five, I scaring the daylights out of you, ain't I? Five things this morning with a lot of space. We're going to move relatively quickly through this and use this as our template to the diagnostic uh, that our great physician, God our Father, is doing with us as a church. And so the church and during this series is going to get up on the examination table in the doctor's office. And God is going to examine us and ask the question, Village Bible Church, Are you a healthy church? And he's going to tell us what may need to change to get there. And so notice the first thing he wants us to do is we need to recognize the mistakes that are being made. As I said, the mistake that's not being made is not that there aren't sermons going on. There's sermons going on in all kinds of churches and all uh, places. But at the end of Paul's message in our text this morning, Paul knows and recognizes his time is coming to an end. This is going to be the end of the apostolic uh, movement as a result. And he's handing off the ministry to that first generation of people who had never maybe walked with Jesus or talked with Jesus, who had not seen the risen Lord and Savior. And notice in his farewell address to his spiritual son Timothy, he gives him some final words to always remember as Timothy was to lead the church at Ephesus. Notice in our text, in verse 2, here is his final charge. Preach the word. Now, that imperative, preach, meaning he's calling us out to do it. He's calling Timothy out to do it. There's a realization that Timothy could do it, or he could disobey the command. Now those words echo throughout history to our time and our day today where Paul is saying to us, Tim, Village Bible Church, uh, people that call yourselves Christians, preach the word. Now Timothy and and myself and and others could steer clear of it and in doing so dilute and, and desecrate the mechanism that God has mandated for the life change in his church and in his people, the preaching of God's word. And why would we do that? Paul's going to tell us that we do so to be a little more palatable, to make people, our listeners, feel a little more comfortable. But notice Paul says that the mistakes that are being made in his day and the mistakes that are being made in our day today can be blamed on two groups of people. Notice, number one, the preacher and the people. Put it another way, we can blame this mistake on those in the pew and those in the pulpit. Now notice what the text says. In verse 2, I'm sorry, verse, uh, let's see here, 3, it says, For the time is coming when people, that's you, will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers, that's me, to suit their own passions. So I want you to notice what Paul says is going to take place. He says it's beginning and it's going to continue as the gospel message goes forward. There's going to be people who aren't going to quit going to church. He doesn't say there will be some who, suiting their own desires, will just stop going to church altogether. No, what they'll do is they'll say, hey, 
We don't have an issue with church itself. What we have an issue with is what the church preaches and, and teaches. So we like coming to the building. We like coming and seeing people. We like singing songs. Uh, we like the camaraderie of a, a Sunday morning gathering. This is all good. But, but where it falls apart is when that big guy gets up and he starts talking. We've got a problem with that. And so what we'll do is, we won't give up this, the social aspect of it. We won't give up the, the calendar um, date that we've got, if you will. But what we'll do is we'll change the teaching. We don't like what's being taught. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll find a new messenger. We'll find a new teacher. And so what we'll do is we'll find someone who will make us feel better. Paul gives the idea of, of, with itching ears, finding someone who will tickle them. Who will massage them. Who will make them feel good. They become the, uh, the, the person who is the customer. They're the one whose opinion matters. And notice we could blame the congregation for this and say it's all your fault. But notice you guys have no problem finding someone like me to be able to teach that, right? Because they go out and they find individuals who will actually do that kind of teaching. And so we have a problem that doesn't just impact the pew. It doesn't just impact the pulpit. All of us are to blame within the church because we have people and we have preachers who are no longer wanting to endure teaching truth. Steve Lawson put it this way. Go to the screen and you'll follow along. It's a lengthy quote, but it's important. As the church advances into the 21st century, the stress to produce booming ministries has never been greater. Influenced by corporate mergers, towering skyscrapers, and expanding economies, bigger is perceived as better. And nowhere is this Wall Street mentality more evident than in the church. Sad to say, pressure to produce bottom-line results has led many ministries to sacrifice the centrality of biblical preaching on the altar of man-centered pragmatism. A new way of doing church has emerged in this radical paradigm shift Exposition has been replaced with entertainment, preaching with performances, doctrine with drama, and theology with theatrics. The pulpit, once the focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques, everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations and vaudeville-like pageantries. And seeking to capture the upper hand in church growth, A new wave of pastors is reinventing church and repackaging the gospel into a product that is to be sold to the consumer. The famine in the pulpits across the nation reveals a loss of confidence in God's word to perform its sacred work. While evangelicals affirm the inerrancy of scripture, many have apparently abandoned their belief in its sufficiency to save and to sanctify. Rather than expounding the word of God with growing vigor, Many are turning to lesser strategies in an effort to resurrect dead ministries. But with each newly added novelty, the straightforward expounding of the Bible is being relegated to a secondary role, further starving the church. You see, doing God's work God's way requires unwavering commitment to feeding people God's word through relentless biblical preaching and teaching. Just pause there for a moment and ask the question, is that what we're all about? Are we about God's word, preaching it God's way, or are we about man-centered ideas of how to grow a church and to do so by preaching a message, but a message that maybe has nothing to do with God and his word? And so what Paul then moves us to is that we have to then rediscover After we've recognized those mistakes, we need to rediscover the mission in preaching. What is preaching to do? What is it there for? Uh, What is the purpose it is supposed to have? Uh, I think there are some here today who think that the reason why we preach is to give Tim an outlet so he doesn't explode. Okay? But it's not that. It's something far greater than anything that we could put together in our own minds. And so God in his word tells us, that the preaching of the right sermons is the food that allows the body to grow. But what type of preaching is that to look like? And what does it really matter? Notice a couple things from Paul's 
uh, letter to Timothy that remind us of this importance of the mission that we have to preach. Notice, first of all, that preaching is demanded and commanded by God. Notice in verse 1, why do we preach? The answer is there. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Paul moves Tim, Timothy from the worship center to the courtroom. And what he says is, I'm going to charge you, I'm going to give you a, a calling, and, and there's going to be some witnesses who are going to uh, see this and be, and be a witness to it to remind you of the severity of what I'm giving you as your mission. Notice who the witnesses are, God and Christ Jesus. But that's not enough, just that they're not just standing there. Paul points to them and says, let's remember, Timothy, that these two are going to be the ones who are going to appear and bring forth their kingdom, and Christ Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. And it could happen at any time. And so you've got this calling, you are to preach the word. You are to make sure that you are uh, my messenger, and you are going to be held accountable with this sacred duty I've been given, or that I've given to you, and you're going to be judged by it. So you better do it right. You better do it as I've prescribed. Well, what am I supposed to preach? Timothy must have asked. Is it to be a funny sermon? An intellectual sermon? Is it to be a serious sermon? A long or short sermon? Notice, Paul tells Timothy that biblical preaching, notice the next thing, draws its content from Scripture. And what that means is, is we are not to preach the fresh new book that's out in the New York Times bestseller. I am not to look to the newspaper on Sunday morning and see what's the new hot item to be talking about. I'm not to go to the comic section and, and bring my favorite uh, funny bits, if you will, from the comics. I'm not to go to ESPN and figure out what the, the talk of, of last night's college football is and, and focus in on that. My job, was Timothy's job, is to preach the Word. Now let me pause here for a moment and remind you what a definition for biblical preaching is. Write this somewhere uh, in your outline so that you uh, can know this and, and remember this. What biblical preaching is, when we talk about biblical preaching, it is when a preacher, it is when a preacher becomes a mouthpiece for the biblical text. It is when a preacher becomes the mouthpiece for a biblical text. What that means is, is that a biblical preacher is one who opens the word, explains the word, applies the word to people, reminding them always that this is God's word to them. He says preach. That word preach literally means to herald. Now, we don't have heralds these days. Uh, we, uh, we haven't had them for some time. But heralds were those who would go and, and would get a message from the king. And the king would say, all right, heralds, you go out and, and I want you to take this message, this new message that I have for all of my subjects to hear. And your job is to go out and to go into the marketplaces, into the central parks, if you will, of the city and announce exactly what I just told you. And I'm going to hold you accountable. Your whole job is, is, uh, is going to be judged by whether the message I gave in my throne room is the same message that gets to uh, where uh, you are speaking, speaking to the people. And so the preacher's job is not to preach my own message, but it's to preach what God has shared with me through his word. I am to take it and say, this is what God says. I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm just announcing, I'm just uh, giving to you what I've received from the Lord through his word. Here is what God says. And I am to preach it in such a way that I can say with confidence, thus saith the Lord. 
that you know that it's not me who is speaking, but it is God. Now, if I start saying things that I want to, then I cease to be a herald and I take the position of the king. And I will tell you that there are far too many preachers who have taken God's place on the throne, announcing to their people what they need to herald about them instead of being the heralds for God. Hugh Thomas Kerr said it this way with regard to preaching the word. He said, because we have been given this charge to preach the word, we are not to preach sociology, but salvation. Not economics, but evangelism. Not reform, but redemption. Not about culture, but conversion. Not about progress, but a pardon. Not about a new social order, but a new birth. Not words of revolution, but of regeneration. Not of renovation, but revival. Not about resuscitation, but the resurrection. Not about a new organization, but the new creation. Not about democracy, but the gospel. Not about civilization, but Christ. We are God's ambassadors. Listen, he finishes saying, not as diplomats. It's supposed to be preached, and it's supposed to draw itself from the Scriptures. We'll talk about this in a moment, but notice the final thing under this point. It's to be done amidst all circumstances. He goes on and he says in the text that we are to preach the Word in season and out of season. What that means is when it's favorable to do so and when it's unfavorable to do so or not so favorable. And we need to be ready at all times to share it. So when do we share it? We share it when we think we should do it, and at times we are to share it when we don't think we should do it. We are to do it at all times. And what that means is we get up and we preach in times of peace and peril. We preach when we are in times of triumph, in times of great tribulation. We preach when we are in plenty, and we preach when we are in lack. Listen to me. Biblical preaching will be the same thing here in America this morning as it would be in, in uh, uh, Liberia on that same Sunday. The gospel doesn't change. It's not a chameleon that changes to match its surroundings. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest message, and it can never be changed because we, the people, think that we need to hear something different. I wrote this down. The dictates of popular culture, tradition, reputation, acceptance, or esteem within any community should never alter a church's commitment to biblical preaching. That is why you can know that each Sunday, no matter what kind of week we've had, we are going to come into this place, and at some point in the service, we're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to get back to work. We're just going to go at it again. Because nothing in human history can ever take away God's mandate to preach the word. So we recognize some things now of why we are to do it. But what is a good message to convey? Notice the third point. We need to remember, remember what is a message to accomplish. So we know we got to do it. Okay? So we got to preach. So some of you are feeling guilty right now. I, I've wished at times that Tim didn't have to do his thing. Now I feel guilty. I'm convicted by that. But, but what is it to look like? And this is huge for us as a people. Because the question is, what is a good sermon? What is a good biblical sermon? You know, it's an odd thing to be a preacher. Week in and week out, you take your place in this pulpit and you do your thing, and even before you're finished, you already start seeing in your faces the scorecards. They start coming up, okay? Some of them are waving them at you, okay? Hey, dummy, you're missing me. I'm right here, zero, one, okay? Those are bad numbers, by the way. And the judges begin to ask the question, was it powerful enough? Did it move me? Did I laugh and cry? Did I walk away thinking? Was it relevant enough and trendy enough? Did it shake me to the core of who I am? How did he do with timing? How was his intro? How was his conclusion? Let me tell you, if I lived by that criteria, I would have lost my mind in the first couple weeks. Because what one person wants sitting next to you, 
on one side is going to be the exact opposite of what one other person wants from you on the other. And so what we have to do when we ask the question, is our preaching healthy, is it biblical, is we've got to go to God's Word and we have to say, Paul, you heard from God. What did God say with regards to this? You're being moved by the Holy Spirit. What did you say? And I want you to notice that what Paul does is, in essence, he asks five questions. And biblical preaching is going to address five questions, listen, every week. Every week. And if we're not answering these five questions, then we've missed it. And I want you to recognize that you're going to see some preaching will address maybe one or two of them, but not all five. I'm here to tell you that preaching should always, no matter what the message is, should be addressing these five things. And so here's the question. Does the message that I've heard today, first of all, convict me in my thinking? Notice what Paul says. He says, you're to preach the word, be ready, do it when you want to and when you don't want to. And what does that preaching look like? Number one, you need to reprove. That word reprove literally in the Greek is bringing something to light. This word in the Greek was a legal term where a prosecutor would take his place before the jury and make a case in which to convince you that something was wrong. A crime had been committed. So this is the opening argument of the attorney. There's been a crime that's been committed. And I'm going to show you through my speech to you this morning that a crime has been committed and we need to do something about that crime. Paul says the job of the preacher is to convict the listener in their thinking. And so what it then means is that the job of the preacher is to present a case against sinful man or sinful society, his desires, his wants, his actions, his thinking, and he presents it and says, there's a problem. And we've got to change it. Why do we have to change it? The reason why we have to change it, the preacher will say, is because God says so. And so my job, number one, is to get you to understand this morning that not all preaching is biblical preaching. That I hope you've heard as we've started this morning that my job is for you to see that not all preaching is biblical preaching. We need to do a little better job of being perceptive as to what a biblical message is all about. We just finished the book of uh, Proverbs. And I wanted you to see over and over again that the wisdom in this world is stupidity before God. It's foolishness. And so we need to pursue godly wisdom And we need to pursue it because if we live apart from godly wisdom, we are going to run into trouble. So we need to convict our thinking. Notice next, it doesn't just stop there that I say, we've got a problem, let's go ahead and close in prayer. I don't know what to do about it. But the preacher then moves and he then points his finger. Yes, he points his finger and he says, there's some rebuking that needs to take place. Once the preacher has established that this type of thinking or living is wrong, he doesn't stop there and say, okay, I know we can't help ourselves. We're just bad people. Or God's grace will cover it. So just, you know, try not to do it as much. But when you do, just we're sinners and that's what we're going to do. Biblical preaching looks at the person. Listen, the preacher points his finger and says, you're wrong. What are you going to do about it? You know what? You're going to keep sinning. So what you need to do is you need to bow the knee to God and repent of your sins. This is what gets people uneasy. Who do you think you are, Mr. Preacher Man, that you can tell me what to do? I'm fine with you saying generally we've got a problem out there. i got no problem. I tell people all the time. You can say what you want uh, about women drivers, okay? But when you call my wife a bad driver, I'm going to be offended, right? So generally speaking, you can say we're a bunch of sinners. Yeah, I get that. But when you point your finger, preacher, and you say you're a sinner, something in your life needs to change. Now I'm angry. You see, the only full contact sport we want to be a part of on Sundays is football. Whereas biblical preaching says it's going to be in your face. It's going to rock your world. It's going to call you out. Now, I want you to notice these two things. Does it confront my sin? And does it convict me in my thinking? 
The best picture of this, I don't want to spend a lot of time on here, but the best picture of this is Nathan when he confronts David. Remember, he tells the story of this guy, this rich farmer who had a big flock and, and he had taken the flock of a little farmer, the one little sheep that he had. David gets riled up. Holy cow, we've got problems in our pastures. We've got we to gotta address this. He's as fired up as possible. And Nathan could have left it there. But Nathan turns and points and says, you're the guy. You're it. And so it takes it from the big and it brings it down to small. Yeah, you're part of the problem. And I want you to recognize, and please hear me, and I hope if you've been a part of this church for a long time, you know that every time I point my finger at you, I have clearly articulated to me that the finger's already been pointed at me first. But right before you think, wow, no wonder Tim beats on us continually, let's remember something. That good preaching also comforts those in obedience. You don't sit there, and I don't get this morbid pleasure from just beating the snot out of people. You know, oh, I let them have it this morning. Whoa, this was great. But that biblical preaching exhorts. That is, it encourages. What that means is literally comes alongside another and says, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. For those who have heard this, this, uh, this type of preaching will recognize that you can sit in the pew And listen, and when you're able to honestly say, I've lived that way, preacher, this week. I've done what God has said. That the pulpit is to remind you to keep up the good work. Not in a boastful way, but to encourage you in doing right. It's the affirmation that we do with our, our children. Good job. Keep it up. Don't stop. And good preaching is going to encourage people. It's hard. I get that. But keep up the good work. Keep doing what you're doing. Notice it shows compassion. Does the message show, notice the text, is preaching done with complete patience? Preaching is a frustrating thing. It's a lot like parenting because you teach your kids these things and and you know you've done a great job with it. You know that they've got everything they need and the second they've got opportunity, they go and do the exact opposite of what you've called them to do, right? Right? It's frustrating. Preaching is that way. Preaching, we preach. I've been doing this since uh, 2003. We've done this. I don't know how many sermons I've preached. I average, I think, like 40-some sermons a year over 10 years of preaching. It's 400-some-odd sermons. We've done this 400-some-odd times. And I can't tell you how many times we have someone come into the church office middle of the week, and their life is a complete mess, and, and I just have to pause and say, where have you been? We've been talking about this stuff. We've been addressing this. And there are times, I'll be quite honest with you, I just want to say, you know what? You're on your own. May God have mercy on your soul. But Paul says, Tim, not Timothy in the Bible, but Tim Bedall, remember something. You're a knucklehead. You didn't get it the first time or the second time or the third time or the 3,000th time. Neither are they. And they need to be cared for. I once asked my youth pastor, after he endured four horrific years of Tim's teenage life, why he stuck with me. I gave him no reason to stick with me. Why did you stick with me, John? I asked him. And he said, Tim, God taught me a long time ago that people are a lot like popcorn kernels. He said, some pop right away when the heat's applied. Others, it takes a long, long time. And we need to recognize that some of you, you popped, and that's great. But some, it's going to take a little while longer. And one of the biggest blessings of being a preacher at, a church, at the same church for a long time is you get to see on some random Sunday, a person that's been a hard colonel for a long, long time, all of a sudden pops, and it's like, praise God. This is awesome, but it takes patience. It takes great, in the, the text in the ESV, complete Patience. Preaching doesn't just happen. So, so here's the thing. You will never hear me say this is the message that's going to change the world. Because really what it is is not about one message. But it's the totality of messages that we preach. Faithful preaching isn't pretty. It isn't something that is uh, um, going to rock this world. But what it will do is we'll change one life at a time. Notice, it needs to confirm the intention of the author. With great instruction or great teaching, Paul says very clearly, 
that there's a curriculum that you are to use. The teaching is the teaching of the apostles. It is not something that's made up in the mind of the preacher. Some years ago, before I was the pastor of this church, one of the most popular sermons that was ever preached, one that I remember people walked out and said that was one of the greatest messages I ever heard, was of a speaker who got up and preached from Acts 27, 29. Acts 27, 29. You don't have to turn there, write it down. You can look at it later, but I'll read it for you for your uh, fun and enjoyment. But Acts 27, 29 is a passage that I would have thought wouldn't have had much to bring forth in a great message, but Acts 27, 29 says the following. (sighs) And fearing that we might run on the rocks... They let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. I have in my old NIV Bible the passage of that day there, and the title is How to, How to Steady Your Faith in Times of Storm. The preacher got up and he preached that there are four anchors to drop. Anchor number one, faith. Anchor number two, hope. Anchor number three, love. And when you're done with those three anchors, drop another anchor, love once again. He preached the text so beautifully, and in my notes I wrote down, I think the anchors are there to stop the boat. That's it. To get anything out of that is to go against what is being written by Luke. There's no faith, hope, and love. That's in the book of Hebrews. You want to talk about faith, hope, and love? Go to Hebrews. But they didn't drop and say, oh, here's the first anchor, faith. Oh, that was nice. And the second one, hope and and love. Let me tell you something. Uh, The message, uh, the preacher's worth is found not on what he puts into the message, but what he gets out. Let me say that again. The worth of your preacher is not found in what he puts in the message, but what he gets out of God's word. So if you sit there and you say, how did he do that? There's probably a good chance that what he did wasn't supposed to be done. Wasn't supposed to be drawn out. I hope you can see. I hope that I can prove to you that every time we come to the Word, you're seeing the Word of God being drawn out. Now, I recognize that some of you are going to say, well, I didn't know that was in the Greek. Well, that's that's study. But you should be able to draw a line from God's Word to the end of my message and be able to say there's never a dotted line. It's a straight line from one to the other. I have to be able to present to you what the author's original intention was. And so when we move too quickly from the text... To us, we run the risk of putting us as the original intention. Remember this. Write this down. When you study God's word, you're reading someone else's mail. You're reading someone else's mail. So you've got to put it in that context. We are reading Paul's letter to Timothy, not Paul's letter to Village Bible Church. Now, once we understand Paul's letter to Timothy, we then, therefore, can apply it to our own lives. So we need to make sure of that. And so I'm telling you, you want to see a healthy church. Paul tells you this is what a healthy church preaches. These questions need to be answered. And I know I am putting myself under evaluation, asking the question, have these five things done in the totality of my preaching or the preaching of anyone in this pulpit in our times together? So notice then what is the result? What what happens? Notice we can then rely on the ministry of the word. When it's preached right, you and I can rely on it. I need to move quickly here, but for the preacher uh, to be a strong preacher, first he has to be a strong Christian, and Paul tells Timothy, okay, you gotta, you got to be ready for some things. It's not going to be easy, Timothy. And when a biblical preacher does what is right, he will then do what he has done to his own life, to the life of the church that's listening. And notice there are a couple things that will take place. When we involve ourselves in biblical preaching, it sobers the congregation up, and it gives clarity. Be sober-minded, he says. The idea here is that good preaching always allows the congregation and the preacher to be well-balanced. What I mean by well-balanced is is that we're not tossed to and fro. We're not rash, but we're self-controlled. Good preaching doesn't play the art of chicken little. The sky is falling. I get that there's a lot of garbage going on in this world. I understand that it's real easy to sit there and say, well, the Lord must be coming tomorrow. I get that. But the Bible doesn't say, Tim, get up and say, oh my gosh, what's going to happen with us? We're all going to die. But that I'm to get up and I am to go back to where we were before 
and preach the word. To sober up. To tell people it's okay. God is in control. And while God is in control, our job is to live upright and holy lives. I get it that it's crazy out there. And the one place that it isn't crazy, listen to me, is when we open up the word of God. So that's what we do. We sober up and get clarity from the word. Notice, it steadies us in crisis. He says, endure suffering. It's not going to be easy. Life isn't going to be easy. And so what you are going to hear is not just these joy-filled messages that are just wonderful and glorious, uh, but you're going to hear that when we do this, it's going to be tough. It's called the work of the Lord, not the fun of the Lord, the work of the Lord. It's going to be done in good times and bad. And don't lose your faith when crises come. Don't give up. The church, as the preacher is called to preach in season and out of season, the church is to honor or obey God when it's easy to do and when it's hard to do. Notice it should send us out proclaiming Christ. We're to do the work of an evangelist. Good biblical preaching should lead us to see what God, the great thing God has done in our lives. And to see it as so great and so marvelous that we are so changed by it that we've got to tell someone else about it. And so I hope that, that when you leave this place, you're like, you know what? Tim has reminded me of a truth that God is an unfailing God. God is a non-forsaking God. God is a loving and, 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 and wonderful God. He's a God that's going to judge. And because of that, I need to tell my friends and neighbors and family about that. Because if I don't, then, then that truth hasn't changed my heart and my life. Notice it's to spur us on to fulfill our calling. Preaching should strive to commend people to take what they've heard, listen, and do with it what they should. So the question that you need to ask that I hope I bring out is how does this impact my own life? How does it impact my home? How does it impact my marriage? How does it impact my family? How should it change the way I live in the community? How should it change in the way that I engage the workplace? It's because of this that John Stott said that preaching is the most important job within the world, and I have another job, so I can say I think he's right. So what do we do then? i got to close this thing. we got to land, or the second service is going to jump in here. we got to start reaping the momentous blessings of preaching. So what do we do as a congregation, as a people? Number one, before I give you a, a, a quick acronym, I ask a couple things. Number one, that you would pray for the preaching of Village Bible Church, that God would use it in a mighty way. Number two, that you would prepare yourself to hear the word of God each Sunday. You'd be hungry for it. You'd be attentive. You'd be ready to receive it. This is a blessing to those who speak. One of the best compliments we get from our guest speakers is these people love to hear the preaching of God's word. It was the thing, it was Ray Pritchard who was here last who said, man, if every church listened like they did, preachers would not be so burned out. So how do we get there? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Let me close with an acronym that, that will build your faith. How do you build your faith in the right preaching? Number one, write these down quickly, feast on it feast on it. Man, just fall in love with the preaching of God's word. I love listening to other people preach. Man, I don't know where I'd be uh, as a preacher without the encouragement at times of a man named Alistair Begg. Man, I don't know if it's just the way he talks or what. I just love it, man. It is, it is glorious, and, and I love the opportunities where I get to sit and listen to that guy preach. Apply it. Do what it says. Do it right away. Number three, interact with others about it. Talk about it with others. Don't just talk about football. Football's great, but, you know, and sports are great, and, and, and politics are, are wonderful and, and all of that. But, but when was the last time you had a discussion about the, the teaching of God's Word in your life? Interact with others. It's, it's not just talking with other Christians about it, but it's interacting with, with others who are non-believers. Man, I heard a message yesterday. It really impacted my life. Man, don't preach at them. Talk about how it preached to you, how it changed you. Train others by it. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul tells Timothy, what you've heard me share and trust to reliable men who will train others. What you've heard me preach to you, don't just be a listener. Don't be a sponge. Listen, when a sponge is full of water, it will inevitably get moldy. 
And from time to time, you need to take the sponge and all its contents and wring it out. Teaching others is wringing it out. And you need to wring it out and and let others be impacted by it. So train others, teach others, get the opportunity to share God's Word with others. And finally, Village Bible Church, hold on to the preaching of God's Word no matter what. There's going to be a lot of things that will come our way that will keep us from wanting to desire these things. But God says, hold on. Hold on to it with all your heart. So goes the preaching. So goes the church. Are we a healthy church? Elders in the midst? We need to ask that question each and every day. We need to make sure that the preaching of this place is biblical and godly and growing the people so that they may be able to stand amidst every test of their faith for the glory of God. Are you hearing God's word? Then praise God for it. If there's things that you need to work on, then make the changes. Are there things your preacher needs to work on? Pray for me. Pray that I'd get it right. Pray that the ones who fill this pulpit would get it right, who would cut it straight so that God may receive the glory. The first mark of a healthy church is biblical preaching. I pray that for as long as this place is called Village Bible Church, that will be true for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the beginning of this series and for your word. I thank you for your words to Timothy. I thank you for these words now that we can apply to our lives. Lord, this has been a very different type of sermon, kind of opening the hood and and looking at the mechanics of what we do each and every Sunday. So I pray that it will teach us as a people what to look for. We may not always call Village Bible Church our home, and so we have to ask the question as we look for other churches, as we send our children to uh, go into other uh, churches, that they would know what to be looking for because it matters. It mattered to you that you would tell your your, children disciple Timothy to preach the word, it matters to us. So Lord, I pray that that would be the case. Let us be discerning. Let us be wise. Lord, I pray for our elders that we would equip the people of God through the preaching of the word for works of service, for your glory, and for your honor alone. And it's in Christ's name all God's people said, amen.